0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay With God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible, and you can be authentically Gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Gay with God. I am so excited to be back for another week with another great person that I want to introduce you to. And I can tell you that this person is has just amazed me we we actually are using the same uh, publishing company for our books our memoirs and i was able to be in a group with her and hear some of the things that she's going to be writing about and has written about and i'm just so excited to have her on the show i want to also say to you guys who are doing all that you can to bring this uh podcast into some sort of a a good light i mean you're sharing your 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 Following, you're doing all these things, and I'm so so excited to always see you uh, coming in and joining the podcast and liking it and sharing it. So thank you, thank you again. I, I say this every week, but it's it's only because I mean it. But today I want to get right into the show because we have with us Stacy Moritea Pilkington is a catalytic leader and champion for the voiceless amidst and among the scorching heat the faux sparkle and gaudy access of Las Vegas, a true Phoenix was born, a survivor of domestic violence. Stacy began her young adult life escaping abuse with a two-year-old on one hip, a one-year-old on the other, and nine months pregnant. As their special needs emerged, her drive and rigor brought her to new opportunities and challenges in serving her young sons. She burst out of the closet at the age of 22 with three young boys, and charted their journey toward safety and prosperity Stacy's tenacity and resolve were the impetus for a career in hospital- hospitality leadership that has spanned both coasts and led her to Maui as an executive leader at one of the world's most prominent resorts through the years, the mental health concerns of two of her children became overwhelming. Stacy's unwavering love and perseverance was tested in the broken systems of pediatric psychiatry and the underdeveloped special education system. In 2018, after a grueling and horrific battle with alveolar rhabdomyosarcoma, whew, I almost didn't make it, <laughs> her, her young son, only 19, died that must have just been heartbreaking so i i I have all the feels when i've read this bio because i can only only imagine what that was like stacy was unwavering in her spirit and her mission to uplift and enlighten illuminating the dark shameful corners surrounding mental health domestic violence poverty female leadership and grief i think she does all that she does in her memory of ryan some families are made stronger through trials and tragedies while others fall apart in cataclysmic ways stacy speaks truth to familial shame and the toxicity of enmeshment she lives with her wife mirza and their three giant dogs in beautiful wailuku maui exploring peace forgiveness empowerment and inspiration we join the phoenix on her journey stacy Welcome to Gay With God. Thank you so much, Midge. Thank you so much for having me here today with you. I am, I am so honored to have you here, and I thank you so much for being here. I know that you had a lot going on today, and you made time for us, and I really, really appreciate it. So, Stacy, the floor is yours. Tell us your story. Thank you. So you know, Midge, I was really excited to have met you
1: during the presentation of one of our chapters in, in our, our cohorts. And mm-hmm. I, I understand that you're writing a memoir as I am. Yes. And my my title hasn't yet come to the forefront, although I, I do suspect that Phoenix is going to play uh, a major role. Yeah. And it's interesting when you read that bio, it sounds as if you're talking about somebody else. And mm-hmm. when I see that person in the mirror, Uh, She has quite a story to tell, and every morning I get up and think, what's today going to give me, you know, and and being gay with God, your podcast, which I've listened to quite a bit since getting to know you, has made me think quite a bit about how how many of us there are out there that have this this beautiful or tragic um, mosaic of experiences and stories, And I was thinking of you very recently, we got the chance to leave Maui and go on our first vacation in two years. So we left Maui, my wife and I, and we started it in Boston, connected with family and friends in Rhode Island and Connecticut and spent the last eight days at my father's home in Montana. And so my father is, um, is a very Christian man and was the architect for our religion growing up. He, he remarried the, the most amazing human being in the world, and she's been my stepmonster since I was a 12-year-old girl. Uh, his spirituality has evolved over the years. When I was a child, it was Pentecostal, and the speaking in tongues and youth group and um, a lot of themes that presented themselves to me as a thinking young woman uh, as problematic, And you know, women were either virgins or whores, and you know, if there was any external sexual relationship prior to marriage, you sh- one should be stoned to death. And so, I struggled quite a bit and rejected much of what I had learned as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, internally, self-loathing was definitely a part of it. I knew that I was attracted to girls from a young age, uh, but went completely in the opposite direction as I do all in, um, you know all in three children before the age of 22 and, and seven years in, in what was a very violent and very disturbing um, marriage. And so my, my beautiful boys are, are mine as they are his, and he was not physically present uh, at all for even a calorie that they needed in their young life. Certainly not for any of the uh, you know, emotional or financial resources or support that they would need also being genetically you know, his children and struggling with with some some pretty heavy mental health challenges and and a lack of a father and a gay mom. Mm. So fast forward all of this, unless we go back for questions, I'll get right to the end where my my Ryan um, was very near to the end, and he was very afraid, he was depressed, and a dark mood really consumed uh, a lot of his days. He he was coming to terms with his mortality, and there was certainly a sense of an impending doom or an impending oblivion on the other side of death. And he he knew that his cancer was going to take his life, and um, was really struggling to understand what he was going, what that was going to look like. What what would death feel like? How would it come? What would happen after? And and I hatched a plan. And at the time I hatched it, it was fiction in my mind and an active, a manipulative mom who wanted to control the dialogue. And I engaged those members of my family who were very spiritually connected to God and very much believed in heaven. One of those I married. So my wife, my wife definitely has these beliefs. And so does my father and my stepmom and my grandmother, who's almost 100 years old at this point. And I engaged them all. And I said, you guys, he thinks he's disappearing. So I need you to be crafty. There was a very large section of the family who actively rejected any sort of belief in God, certainly that that any God wouldn't have allowed this to happen to Ryan or wouldn't have allowed this to take place and prayers weren't being answered, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a, a chasm, really. I needed to be discreet with the plan. And I said, I need you to start introducing the concept to him that on the other side of this, he's going to run into the loving arms of the father that he never knew in life and one who has been waiting for him and a place of peace and solitude and happiness. And I need you to tell him everything that you believe and I need you to be careful not to do it around certain people because then he'll feel like he needs to posture a bit and reject it. Well, it worked. It worked and it worked very, very well up to, um, up to his last moments. His, his very last moments he was holding a cross that had come from my stepmother, and he was very much unconscious, had a, a brain bleed. I mean, he was completely not able to communicate or speak, but he was holding this cross. And we brought a priest in and did some prayers with him, and he roused for the first time in two days and, and gave some snarky comments to the <laughs> priest, uh, he, as, as was his his style. He didn't approve of, of that particular prayer. But in the last three weeks of his life, we prayed in the morning and we prayed at night, and being somebody who felt a bit um, shocking, or an imposter, you know, I I definitely Mm -hmm. was put in on a a show, but the the prayers that I could utter were only thank you. So Mm -hmm. I knew that was an easy thing for me to do was start from a place of gratitude. And, you know, dear God, thank you for giving me breakfast with Ryan today. Mm -hmm. Thank you for allowing us to see the sunset last night. And Mm -hmm. those became our prayers. And so we started with Mm -hmm. gratitude and, and stopped asking for things. Um, once during, during the experience of his death, uh, which lasted about three days, it became very clear to me that he was going somewhere and he was going somewhere where he would be free and untethered and whole, um, and beautiful and surrounded with divine light. Mm -hmm. And so since that experience, there's not been a moment where I doubted it or moved back uh, in In communicating very recently with with my parents in Montana, I said, I, and of course, there's a large group of people in the family who are very excited and believe that a lot of this was to bring me back to God. and and, mm-hmm. and i'll leave I'll leave that narrative to those who who want that. you know, For me, it's a lot more organic. I feel surrounded by a bubble. In this bubble is the knowledge. It's not belief, it's it's knowledge that he is somewhere else, and he is accompanied by divine light and love. And he's untethered by time or pain or distance. And uh, there are other things that come to me as feelings about where he is and what God is. Hmm. So maybe I'll leave it there and see. (laughs) That was a lot of (laughs) ground to cover, right?
0: (laughs) Well, but I love that. I love how you, you phrased all of that because, you know, there are times that I've struggled so much, you know, with faith and belief because, um, no one has yet told me who made God, and for me, in my little Aries head, <laughs> there is a beginning, there is an end, and somebody has to, you know, somebody has to start it. So how did I just can't? And I know I'm not necessarily supposed to be able to comprehend it, but yet yeah, that frustrates me. Um, but I I believe that 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 whole space of of having a knowledge, a knowing, and that's all I've ever wanted. I just want to know it, even if I don't understand it, I want my soul to remind me and let me feel that I know it from wherever I came from, because the two clacking of rocks just don't get it for me. I've never understood the Big Bang Theory. I just we are too intricate and too beautiful and too amazing to have two rocks create that. So I don't know what created it necessarily as far as how it all came about. But I love how you said I'm in that bubble and I have a knowing I have knowledge of that. And that's beautiful. So so I don't know if, if you're going to go into this, but if you are and if if Ryan has communicated with you since then, that would be interesting to know if that presence has returned and how you know it, if there's a knowing of that as well. But if that's not somewhere you're going, but it, it just popped into my head. So as in, it, you know little child of myself is like I just pop things out it popped in it pops out that's just the way it goes so yes I'll I'll go there and I, I okay. don't go
1: there often because I I think people would drag me away in a straitjacket sometimes no, no, if, no, they, no, no. if they knew what I what I would share uh one thing one thing that came to my mind that I want to share with you so I'm an Aries Taurus so oh, all right you go girl um, <laughs> what I know is that there's a grand mystery and I love to read and I love fantasy and I love fiction. And I also love the idea that there are things I don't know about whether they're dragons or unicorns or mm-hmm. angels or, but I, I do feel like there is this grand mystery that we've been given an invitation to participate in. And I need to pump my brakes. Part of losing Ryan and, and a, a lot of the other losses that I've experienced that have helped me thrive as, as a person and certainly in business have been to try and detach myself emotionally from the outcome of things that I can't control. Mm-hmm. And the, thing, the list of things that I can't control is much larger than I thought it was. And so losing a child upsets the whole balance of everything. Um, mm-hmm. I can't control anything. What I can do is be receptive. And, and I can also tell you that Ryan is in communication with me constantly, constantly. It's, it's daily. And the more open I am to it, the more often it happens. Mm-hmm. I need to be present. You know, I, can't, I can't be thinking about the laundry list or what I need to get at the grocery store or, or something that's going on at work that I am not dealing with in the moment. Mm-hmm. I need to be here. Mm-hmm. And when I'm here, it started shortly after his death, I would start to tremble. And I would mm-hmm. say I get the trembleys. And I still get the trembleys sometimes. It's a very uncomfortable physical experience as though he's standing behind me or he's in the room with me. And my, my need to grab him and touch him will always be with me. It's part of the human condition, right? Mm -hmm. My, my spirit knows that he is somewhere perfect and that he is safe and he is free, but there is very much a mother's heart pounding away in my chest. And, and she doesn't accept that. Mm -hmm. She still wants to hear him and wants to see him grow up and wants to see him be a dad. yeah. Um, One of the beautiful things that he gave me or that we gave each other by finding the the, the courage to have these discussions before he passed was, we make commitments. And I said, how are you going to tell me that you're okay? What are you going to send to me? And we both uh, share a love of nature, birds in particular, but all, all nature. And he said, well, I'm, go- I'm going to find you with birds, mom. It has to be things with wings. And, you know, we joked a little bit and I said, it can't be something exotic like a scarlet tanager that only is seen once every two years. You know, I, I need something all the time. And he said, good, then I'm going to find them all. And he listed off a few. He listed off a few that would have been available to us in our home in Southeastern Connecticut. And um, I thought that when I got to Maui, I wouldn't see any of them anymore. mm mm-hmm but there are cardinals here. Ah. There are two kinds of cardinals in Maui. And yeah, there are all sorts of, of birds and, you know, dragonflies that bounce across. So mm-hmm. I, have a dra- I have a dragonfly oh. tattoo on my arm. Yeah,
0: nice. There are
1: dragonflies daily. Um, the other thing, that, and, and I've heard this from other people, is that they use electronics and they use technology to say hello. Mm-hmm. So if I if I mm-hmm. put on my, my playlist and I have seven or eight different uh, platforms that I'll use a playlist on, I'll be listening to Enya, for example, Uh and then uh suddenly I'll get a song that has no business on that channel that he and I listened to on the way to the hospital. Uh. So he finds me in music, you know, even if I'm in a restaurant somewhere, the song that comes on the radio will be one that we shared together, uh, or the color of a sunset or a sticker on a car. So Mm -hmm. every day I get, uh, we started to call them little Godwinks. Yeah. Yep. that where he is, he's, he's saying hi and I love you and I'm part of something wonderful. And so are you.
0: Well, oh, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. So it is. It is. So I'm sorry I interrupted your flow. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so, um, so one, of the, I guess one of the other questions I have is that with, with the way you were raised in, in the church and how for me, it almost feels abusive and damaging. You know, there's that, that horrible message to, to women and to anyone that's not in that particular faith is just damaging to our core self. So how did you bring yourself out of that just in general? I mean, how, how did you move past that kind of message that you are not worthy of anything good? because of your gender or because of your choice, knowing that you were, you know, not heterosexual. And I know you went like a, you know, 360 the other way to, to appease whatever you needed to appease, but how did you get brave enough <laughs> to get through all of that and come to your authentic self?
1: I don't know that I have yet. I feel like I'm still very much on that journey. Yeah. I, I... I think it takes a lifetime for us to dismantle Mm. what we've been told about ourselves.
0: Mm
1: And I don't know about you, but I have this internal tape recorder that tells me things and I've been paying attention to that tape recorder more acutely, I would say for the last three years, trying to identify whose voice it was Uh initially because it wasn't mine initially, but at some point I overwrote the tape with that same line of thought. No, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're too fat. You're you didn't do this well enough. You're lazy. What you insert negative self-talk mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that forgiveness starts with ourself. Mm-hmm. And in order to continue this path forward, when you when you have death of a child. It's a daily survival. So until Mm -hmm. I'm with him again, it will be a daily series of choices that keeps me here walking until Mm -hmm. I don't anymore. Because Mm -hmm. the the most natural thing for me to do is not be here. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very real statement to say that it takes a lot of courage for me to put my feet on the floor every morning, because he's still not here. Um, Mm -hmm. But when you think about coming along and realizing that you have a purpose, and it's unfolding, And I couldn't save my child, which is something that will haunt me forever. Again, I know that I I can't cure cancer. But as Mm -hmm. a mother, I Mm -hmm. I committed the ultimate sin. I did not save my child when he was in danger. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did do what I could. And what Mm -hmm. I did do was help him out into the next life with comfort Mm -hmm. and safety and surrounded by Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. And now what I need to do is I need to give myself that kind of love as I move Mm -hmm. through life. Um, my wife is from Guatemala and she has gone through some of the most traumatic experiences in a church that I've ever heard of. You know, she was Mm -hmm. dragged into an exorcism, uh, at the age of 13, expelled from school for holding a girl's hand. And, uh, you know, it was, it was the impetus for one of the most epic, um, immigration journeys that, that I've ever heard of. So I won't ever be able to get her into a church, not that Mm -hmm. it's something that I have an interest in. The business side of a church is offensive to me. Um, mm-hmm. The passing around of the till and then the handing out of uh, judgment and criticism and politics on a pulpit are, are offensive to me. So mm-hmm. I think between the two of us, there's a beautiful faith. She knows that God is with us all the time. Mm-hmm. She knows that that God is with Ryan and she, we just got some amazing, we had a very difficult week medically and right before our call, both of us got miraculous results back. So
0: yay. Congratulations. Word,
1: thank you was looming <laughs> over both of us. We both oh. had you know procedures this week and pathology came back for both of us, and cancer is is not a part of our life at this time. So Amen. we were praying and saying thank you. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. There is still purpose to be had. Mm-hmm. I I believe that we have to be vulnerable, Midge, to to your earlier question mm-hmm. in order to help others. Mm -hmm. come away from, uh, the identity that they've been given. You know, Mm -hmm. what is a woman? What is a lesbian? What is a human? Uh, Mm -hmm. what does God want from us? And understanding the motives of what guided that Pentecostal church that I was in, um, helps me, helps me a little bit to forgive, forgive the men because they were men and forgive them because they had the power. Uh, nobody was wrestling with them over it. They, they had all of the authority. The books were written by men Mm -hmm. uh, at a time where women had not even a voting right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that, I just, it it helps me to keep my distance and lovingly forgive it from a distance and say, Mm -hmm. okay, you're, you were doing the best that you could with the circumstances at the time. I did stay long enough in youth group as a teenager um, to, to share some of my strong dreams. I've always had very, very strong, uh, prophetic dreams, if you will. Um, about apocalyptic times, about end of times, about people suffering and struggling. And and I recall my youth pastors, you know, calling meetings with my parents to talk to them about the immense divine power that I had in my spirit and that I was made for great things. And being being told this when you're 11, 12, 13 years old, just trying to get some guidance on your dreams is pretty intense. Uh Uh, I can reflect back on it now and say, hmm, hmm, okay, there was Uh something to it. There was Uh something to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't harbor ill will against any, any people at that time because they were trying to follow, you know, the path. My ancestry is Irish Catholic. So all of, all of my forebears are from Southwestern Ireland. And it was kind of a natural progression to either, either be Catholic here, uh, which I think is becoming very difficult for
0: people or to go in a completely
1: different direction.
0: hmm well, and I know, too, you know, the thing that I always remember when I'm getting angry at, at the way the church handled things was, you know, fear is a, is, a, is a factor for many Christians, self-identified Christians, because they only know what they've been told. A lot of people are not going to search the scriptures for location or timing or culture. Uh, They're not going to look deeper than just the Bible they were given when they were baptized at the right time they were supposed to be baptized. And so whatever is in that Bible and how it was translated and how it was taught to them, because you didn't question back in the day, you just listened to the priest or the preacher, the person who was standing up there that was supposed to be smarter than you. And the fear of... Uh, going along with what the, the perceived sin would send them to hell. And the fear of that has kept generations and generations of good people in this locked place of, I can't look at that. I can't look at your gayness. I can't, I can love you, but I can't love the sin. I hate that line, but that's, and I believe it's all based in fear. And that's how I wrap my head around it. As far as not getting too, too much in the weeds of anger with that, because I know that they're just trying to get to the same place I may be trying to get to and just didn't know how to do it. And they still don't know how to do it.
1: I agree. I was just thinking the other day, there's a, 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 when you were talking about searching in the scriptures and trying Uh to understand and and taking what they were told Uh um, very recently was given some kind of a data dump of scriptures that support a particular family member's position on things. Uh. I do believe that if you go looking in that book, uh, you'll find what you're looking for. If you're looking for a certain political platform upon which to stand or if you're looking for uh, the ability to look down your nose at a a group of people, it's Mm -hmm. all there. It's it's all about the spin. And I I think particularly now we're so polarized in our country that I just withdraw and stand back and kind of, Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. You found that there. You, you found that there. I, I don't go looking for evidence of Mm -hmm. God in, in scripture. I look Mm -hmm. for the voice of God. I look for the poetry of God, mm. if you will, I look for God's love and try to find it in between the words that were used to describe it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's is it, isn't it interesting how people can find what they want. And yeah. one of the questions that I asked uh, of this, this person who who is a, a very close family member, um, is I said, Do you think God makes mistakes? <laughs> and the answer was an unequivocal? No, unequivocal? No, no, definitely not. And I said, Okay, and, and I, you know what I thought internally didn't need to express this externally is this person um, saying that accepts that I'm a child of God, accepts that I'm a child of God and God doesn't make mistakes. So We didn't need to go down that road. Um, I, I suppose we could have. You know, we could have, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have felt good to me, Midge, right? And don't, don't right. we get through a lot of this by, by conflict aversion and trying to be gentle and yes. inserting questions instead of asserting our right to be here mm. and our right to be our authentic selves. Sometimes those
0: ways work. Yeah. Yeah. I like your subtleness. I, I wish I had a little bit of that. <laughs> What happened with me is that for so long, I swallowed everything that I was told. And I felt so unworthy from such a young age that once I finally clicked with who I, I really was meant to be. It's like this once the, and it took me 30 years. It's not like, you know, I was an early bloomer or anything. <laughs> but it's like, okay. I'm 30 years old and I finally figured out that I'm never going to be married to a man and I don't have to be, and I don't want to be. And, and it's like, I burst out of that closet in such a big, loud way that I don't know if I can get back to subtlety. (laughs) I have learned how to not say everything that I think, which is, I think growth. (laughs) Now that I'm 62, I might be, I might be, you know, taming down a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, I've I've probably been more on the um, not militant. I'm not a militant person, but I'm a very vocal person of rights and justice. And um, it's hard for me not to say some things that I I feel need to be said.
1: I hear you. Uh, I hear you, and I definitely don't want to mischaracterize myself as subtle, because uh, nobody who knows me would use that word to describe me. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't I mean, think so I mean, the other night, either. <laughs> no whistleblower advocate, uh, I guess I'll reframe it in saying that, you know, I mentioned in, or in, in the bio, it's mentioned that there was a cataclysmic split in my yeah. family. So a great number of people decided, and I decided that we were not ever going to be together again in the same space. Mm. Um, so my circle shrunk. Quite a bit. So now, those that are in it, I do handle with a, a level of care uh-huh. uh-huh. um, that,
0: that
1: is. Uh, I don't want to say fear of loss, but wanting to make sure that I care for that relationship with the yes. preciousness that it that it that it values to me. I might only be that subtle with that particular person.
0: I gotcha. I got gotcha. <laughs> you. And, and i can, gonna get it. I can see that. Yeah, I'm much more bold when I'm speaking out on Facebook about a certain thing, and I'm a lot more tender or cautious now. Um, with with certain family members too. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so tell me how you found this amazing woman. How does this fit into your story?
1: So I never let go of the idea that I could provide a nuclear family for my sons. I mm. never let that go. Um, I believed that there was somebody else out there who could love them and love me. Mm-hmm. And so I I did do that with relative success, uh, no long term success. I, I, my wife was not my first relationship. Um, when my boys were 20, see, I was 22, 23, I entered into a relationship that lasted about eight years. Wow. And we, yes, and it was, uh, we did actually have another child together. She carried the child. And very unfortunately for me, at that time we didn't have rights. And when the relationship ended after an affair, uh, that's the last mm. time I saw him, and it's been, it's been 13 years. So mm. I'm grieving a lot of children. Yeah. Um, but I I moved across the country to find better jobs and better economic opportunities for my kids, as well as better psychiatric medicine. To be mm-hmm. frank, uh, mm-hmm. I had one. My oldest son had substantial illnesses and issues, and his prescriptions were almost $2,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And so I moved from Las Vegas, got a great job in Denver, spent a couple of amazing years growing in Denver, letting them play outside. You can't do those things in Las Vegas. We could go Mm -hmm. hiking. We could go play in the summertime in the mountains instead of, you know, needing to to be inside with three little boys. I continued to search and just never stopped searching. So I moved back to the East Coast after one of my former leaders had Stacy, I've got the job out here for you. I need you to come out here. You're going to love it. The boys are going to love it. And so I moved back east and uh, I was working interesting role that I had. I was working an overnight shift as a hotel manager in Boston at one of the finest hotels in Boston. And I was working graveyard because during the day I needed to take my oldest son to partial hospitalization care for his psychiatric issues. So I was commuting 84 miles each way. From where I lived in New Hampshire to to downtown Boston. Mm. And I was I was alone. I was alone with the kids after the breakup of the relationship is what what my impetus was to move back east. And um, so I was working in Boston, not sleeping, I think maybe an hour, hour or two a day was the sleep scenario. And I met this person. I came walking down the hallway, and I saw this little person, and I say person because initially down the hallway, very androgynous and very kind of nondescript, and it looked to me like a, a teenager sitting cross-legged on a bell cart, you know, a cart that you'd use for luggage, and working on a, a, a piece of paper. And I was introduced to this person by kind of my training manager. You know, this is, this is Mirza Stacy. She's the one that takes care of, she manages the overnight crew, and you're going to want to partner with her. So I came walking down the hall. Uh, she remembers hearing my four inch heels tick tock down the hallway. <laughs> she heard her <laughs> destiny approaching. <laughs> and she looked up and, uh, and I tried to hide my delight and she didn't do well at hiding hers, but we became friends. And so we became colleagues and friends. I was in an impossibly difficult situation. And I was able to hear her leading her team. She didn't realize that I was fluent in Spanish. So she would conduct her pre-shift meetings with this group of 25 guys. And she was so powerful and so humble and so nurturing and caring with them. Uh, I would walk down the hall and just listen and walk around the hall uh-huh. and say, okay, there's, <laughs> there are not there are not many people like that. And she did ask a couple of times when I was going to let her take me out. And I said, no, you know, I, I I said, no, I, I've got three kids. I've got my hands full. You really have no idea what you're, what you're asking. And, uh, there was one night I came out to my car to find a dozen red and a dozen yellow roses and no, no card. I knew who they were from. Um, and we went for a walk in Boston commons park and she stole a very unauthorized kiss and the rest is, is history. And we were,
0: Aww.
1: we were engaged three weeks later. Um, we were the first couple in our, our town to get married after it became legal. As uh, soon as we realized it was serious, I got, interestingly enough, I got contacted by someone who had received my resume the year before in southeastern Connecticut. And the offer on the table was a position that didn't yet exist there. Um, so I went down and interviewed with this gentleman who said, I, I know there's a place for you here. And, and he created a hotel manager role for me. And I was able to work during the day and live three miles away and, and oh, brought nice. her down from Boston with me. Yeah. So it, it was definitely divinely guided.
0: Wow. Wow. That's a great story. Later, here we are. Yeah. I hope that's a chapter in the book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it may, it may be in hers. It may be in hers. I have to write hers too. Yeah, no, she's. Oh, you're she's, writing hers too. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. That one has to go. She is my earth. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we we figured out we have the secret. We we have the secret and. Our marriage is the strongest thing uh, that either one of us has. And it's our number one priority uh, as we mm. continue to navigate some very difficult chapters in life.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what a blessing that you have her. That is awesome. And I think it's a blessing that she has you. I mean, you know, whenever it's a match, it's because we're both we're both getting what we need from that relationship. And it's never I don't like the word we complete each other. But I think I think that there is in the best relationships, there's always the give and take, you know, that I need what you have and you need what I have. And we make this moment. And I love that, that you found that. How deserving. You nailed
1: it. You've nailed it. You know what? And I think we keep it because we Mm. both have a killer work ethic and we both like to work hard. Mm -hmm. We understand that we need to work hard at this um, for it to keep being what it is and -hmm. to to get even better.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell me about this memoir and, and what, have you written a book before? Is this your first book and And how did you decide to start this?
1: So uh, I'm a poet and a short story writer, not published, but you know I'll grab a napkin and i've I've scrawled out um, hundreds of if not thousands of poems over the years and uh, Jen Grace, who runs this publishing company, has been a very close friend of mine since back in twenty ten when I first moved to Connecticut with Mirza. Mm-hmm. so she and I, I would say, uh, she's, she's one of the five, you know, when you count those five on your hand that, that are your kind of ride or die through life, she's one of them, she knows my darkest secrets and if she had any, I would know, know hers too. <laughs> We've gone through some very difficult times together and uh, as parents, as women, as friends, mm-hmm. and she's been asking me to write my story um, for years and uh, mm-hmm. certainly long before Ryan ever got cancer we were talking about the story because uh, as somebody who's needed to participate in the system, whether it's the uh, the justice system or uh, childhood psychiatry or special education or departments of children and families and the hidden secret resources that they have that we're all afraid to go after, um, she knows that I have a lot to say on those particular topics and mm-hmm. you know surviving domestic violence and then Raising the beautiful children of my abuser is something that uh, I think a lot of women are doing. Mm -hmm. So there are quite a few different facets of this story that I think might help somebody else Mm -hmm. to realize what they're capable of. And if not fully inspire them to do their biggest, brightest things, maybe just inspire them to get up tomorrow and give it another shot.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, good for Jen for continuing to needle that out of you.
1: (laughs) This memoir will start. It's basically my journey as a mother. So it will start when I left home uh, at a very, very tender age, and it, it does detail some of the more um, disturbing uh, and insidious facets of domestic violence and how they start, and how how easy it is to miss all the signs mm-hmm. and to wish that the other person was somebody more than they are. And and it goes into poverty. You know, leaving that situation with three little boys and. Yeah nothing, you know, what, how much does it cost to find adequate childcare? Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, How much
1: does it cost to, to feed them, you know, just to put a healthy meal on the table. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then going through, you know, as I've been fortunate in my career, starting at an entry level hourly job, and being able to through, through the years be promoted, slower Mm -hmm. than others, because my priorities were, were always torn, right?
0: Yeah, to
1: be able to get into a position where now I can influence hundreds of other people and inspire other people to be their best selves and try and pull out that diamond in each one of them that Uh I see as a leader Uh Um, and be able to achieve great business results while still being authentic. Uh And I think the most important quality of a leader is, is vulnerable Uh and and sincere. You know, you, Uh you you have to bring, you have to bring who you are. um, And, and some of the things that I've experienced have just made it impossible for me to shield it. Mm -hmm. I I can't put that stuff, you can't compartmentalize the things that I've survived. And if you do, I think it's a sin.
0: Well, and, and it's unhealthy for sure. It's unhealthy for sure. And I think some people compartmentalize because they haven't found the strength to not do it. You know, their survival is to compartmentalize your survival was to be able to own it and to grow through it and to make something different. And that's your gift. And I'm so glad that you have that. And I'm so glad that you're bringing it to the light in that everybody's going to be able to find your voice is going to speak to so many women and some men probably. Um, yeah, that, the, <laughs> they, are, they are also victims too, and we don't always consider that, but there are some men that are also victims as well of domestic violence. Um, but what a powerful message. I mean, the things that you've been through and your, your ability to not compartmentalize and to face it, and I know there, there have been dark moments and there had to have been times, you know, through your journey where you doubted maybe that, that you did have it. Do I have the strength that I, that I need, but you know, this was your purpose. Uh, and that's what I love that, this, that it's publish your purpose, <laughs> the what we're involved in. And that's what attracted me to this publishing company is that, you know, that is so awesome that we had a purpose to go through what we went through to get to the other side. And now we get to shed a light for people that still need to see it.
1: I agree with you. And I think two, two points I want to make one, one regarding men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that there are men who read this and find mm-hmm. themselves forgiving their mothers, mm-hmm. for not having the right resources, or forgiving themselves for being taught how to be a certain type of human being, you know, whether it's machismo, whether it's dominance to be yes. taught not to cry to be taught. I think that, that the things that have taken place to men, particularly in our country, I can speak to that. Um, it's criminal. Because mm-hmm. I raised little boys and I know that their hearts are filled with emotion and passion and light yeah. and brilliance and, and sweetness and at some point it's crushed out of them. So yes, I yes. hope that there's an appeal um, to men to you know my, my mm-hmm. brothers and, and fathers and certainly fathers yeah. and that they feel empowered. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I think part of our purpose, We've become secret keepers. And I know that you're a secret keeper too, Midge, because mm-hmm. when you suffer, when you go through things, you don't wear it on your sleeve necessarily, and you don't mm-hmm. want to tell everybody what you know. But there are things that you know that people can benefit from. You know, I know what it feels like to hear my son stop breathing for the last mm. time. I know what it feels like to watch his face when he hears the words, You have cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. there are things that I know that I wish I didn't know, but because yeah. I do, it gives me the obligation to make it have purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just creating my own suffering and going through life and being bitter, which is a very real possibility. And, and a lot of people are suffering with that bitterness and, and getting stuck in anguish and anger. Yeah. I choose to follow the little tiny candle of hope in my heart and use what I've learned from my secrets to try and just add a little bit of light wherever i can Mm -hmm. and it's it's so simple i don't have a a big grand plan it's just (laughs) if i see somebody that i can move forward to Mm -hmm. and hold their hand for a moment and help them get up and take another step or two then that's where i belong at that moment Mm i don't know if that makes sense
0: it makes total sense so what has been the hardest part for you in the writing of this memoir Who. (laughs)
1: it's difficult to pull those things up right there. Well, and there are some bad actors. Unfortunately, I I think in each one of our stories, there are bad actors. There are people who, who are in our story or at least were at some point that aren't anymore. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it has been trying to write about them in a way that keeps the story moving forward, but without giving too much airtime or too much, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to give too much attention um, to them writing what happened with Ryan and what happened through the years with my sons, it's difficult because I need to recall, you know, Mm -hmm. I need to recall the details of what happened when I was that man's wife. And I talk about it being a life sentence. Um, So every part of it is difficult. I would say two things. There's a lot of forgiveness in writing about it because as soon as it's on the paper, it's no longer stuck in this Mm -hmm. space anymore. It exists somewhere else. Um, And once it's out into the world, it won't be mine anymore alone. You know, it will be mm. something that I've experienced, but it's something that I've shared. And you can't, you can't put that back in the box once mm-hmm. that's out. I think there's mm-hmm. a liberty and a freedom in that. And I also think um, one of the benefits to this book is in the bottom of my heart, I'm writing it as a love letter to my sons. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know it's tough. I mean, it's got to be tough. And, and how you protect yourself on the way through that, I mean, being able to go back and do that recall. I mean, that's, I mean, that I thought in writing my memoir that I had covered all of my healing basis, basically, I thought, <laughs> I mean, I, I knew that coming back and leaning back into a, a, a church or, or a relationship with God was, was the last thing I've done um, so far. So, it, you know, the other things in the past, I thought I got this, you know, I've, I'm, I've, I'm grown, I got it but then writing it down because I haven't been a poet or (laughs) I haven't kept a journal. I've just kind of like, I have always, I think, walked away from those things and just like, you know, done this. And it's not that I haven't been in therapy. I have, but not, I don't think I ever allowed myself to go deep enough. And so I've been quite surprised in the writing of the memoir (laughs) that those, those things (laughs) that I thought I had taken care of are actually punching a lot deeper than I thought they would. So it's interesting that I have this opportunity to now go deeper in order to to release it, um, in this way. And so it'll be interesting to see where our memoirs take us and, and how they, how they do the work that they're intended to do. Because I don't, I don't think either one of us maybe realized that in writing this, well, you might have, cause you're very insightful, but I, I didn't think about the impact it was going to have on me. And I didn't think about, wow, this really could be something that somebody else reads. And, yeah, I wanted it to be a way to save gay people from dying because they didn't think they could be gay and be in a relationship with God. That was my main intent. But I think that on many different levels, I think people will be able to see in our stories that they resonate with us and that they too can get a little bit further on their journey.
1: I I think you're you're so courageous to be as bold as you are and be out in the space that you are and I just I want to tip my hat to you mm-hmm. for for doing what you're doing, because we each have our own gifts. And I think they're intended to be shared. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're providing me a, a space to speak a little bit and share a little bit of my experience is, is mm-hmm. a tremendous gift to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many others out there. And sometimes suffering is what pushes us close to God, writing mm-hmm. this memoir. Um, is interesting, I, I was talking to somebody about therapy the other day and how much of it I've done. And within the first two sessions, I went to see a, a particular therapist and within the first session, he said to me, Stacy, I think there's a lot more going on here. We, we need to focus on the, this primary relationship that you have as a child with a parent is actually impacting your life more than the loss of your child to cancer. Wow. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just here to tell you that deep down it resonated as a truth and it, it made me take back and hold space for that thought. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what I do when I have a particularly difficult chapter, I let it do what it's going to do. And I let it get sloppy because if I don't, I feel like, uh, I talk about my grief is being my, my bipolar friend. And if I don't spend a little bit of time with her, when she knocks, she's going to make a big, a, a big mess and she will make <laughs> a big mess. Mm-hmm. So I need to let it bubble up and recommend that all of us do that as these feelings come up, where's that coming from and sit with it and put it down. Put the chapter down for a week, or maybe even two, or maybe start a different one. Um, mm-hmm. Because this has helped me to realize that that some of the wounds that we suffer uh, don't originate in the moment that we experience a particular trauma. It's usually much older than that.
0: Uh huh. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. Well, I I want to give you the opportunity before we end today out to to go back to, to anything else that we might've glossed over or that we haven't covered. Um, anything else that is on your heart, in your mind to say today, because there's, there's been a lot. (laughs) There
1: has, there has, I, I think, thank you for the opportunity to close. Um, there is a divine love around us and I find my peace and comfort in avoiding definition of it. Uh, I believe in God and I speak to God all day. And God speaks to me all day. Uh, I do know that prayers are answered. Not the way that we sometimes expect them to be we don't get to dictate. It's not like a list to Santa. um, Although I think that's probably where that was born. Uh I will tell you that when I prayed for healing for my son, Ryan, those prayers were not answered. But when I begged for mercy, they were. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just here to say we don't know um we're not alone there is somebody around us there is a light and a love around us that that looks out for us when we don't think they are uh, you know the the footprints on the sand I think is a very very true statement because as I look back on my life particularly the last three years since this loss has occurred I know that I've been carried and mm-hmm. I hope that that people who are listening feel loved and feel open to the possibility of the true definition of love being perfect, unconditional and divine. And that I believe Mm -hmm. we are capable of offering each other that kind of love while we're still walking in these human vessels that we're Mm -hmm. saddled with for a while longer. So I guess I'm sending a big virtual hug uh, to all of your listeners and, and hoping that there's a little bit of light or a little bit of hope that can be upon their hearts today.
0: I love your story and I love how you are so connected to the feeling of that and the awareness of that and the knowing of that. I I really love that. I love that very much. And, and I, and I think, you know, I always, I always ask my guests, you know, what is the one thing that if somebody came to you and they were struggling with the same thing that you were struggling with, what would you say to them? And, and you summed it up really really well, but but if, if you could say one thing to, to a person who is struggling with their belief or their faith because they've gone through horrific things, and um, what what is the one thing you would want to say if you could only tell them one thing?
1: If they're struggling, it means it's not over. That's the first
0: ah. thing.
1: Be gentle with yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Explore it today. If, it, if you don't get the answers today. If you're given tomorrow, it's another opportunity to continue the exploration. So be mm-hmm. gentle, be patient, mm-hmm. be more loving to yourself than, than you were given before. You know, don't, mm-hmm. don't tell yourself negative things, mm-hmm. search deep in your heart and be very quiet
0: mm-hmm. and be gentle.
1: And if it doesn't work today, again, get up in the morning and try again tomorrow.
0: Mm.
1: He's not going anywhere.
0: Perfect. Perfect. So you have a book that's going to come out, and we will have you back when it does. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll do a, a a little promo show to make sure everybody knows that it's ready. Um, and so I'm not going to put you on the spot unless you actually know the spot when it's going to land. but. <laughs> but it is it is coming accountability (laughs) there's definitely
1: another level of accountability today and i knew that going in. it's (laughs) coming
0: it's coming (laughs) i think within the next
1: next six to nine months it'll be on shelves
0: woohoo woohoo that's awesome That's awesome. Well, I I want to thank you so much, Stacy, for being willing to join us from Maui. And (laughs) that is just so awesome. (laughs) I love that. Um, And I appreciate you spending the time with us and honoring us with your faith journey and your life story. I mean, this has just been an amazing time with you and I appreciate it so very, very much. And guys, you that are listening, I want to thank you for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Stacy, go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. If you are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with God, if you are authentically gay, God has always been within you, even when you didn't know it. You have always been gay with God. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you next week. Remember to stay tuned to hear how you can join the Gay With God community and check out the Facebook group, Gay With God. Talk soon. Bye. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.